there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right. I, Super Don, you sent me the link. It works. I see Dr. Batar in Singapore, of all places. And if no one was supposed to know that, the cat's out of the bag. I blew it. I blew your secret. And everybody knows now, Dr. Batar. But, man, what a background. Background. Actually, it would be hard to kind of, you know, people would figure out that it's not somewhere they're used to me being. So it's not it's not a big cat out of the bag. It's not a big deal. I'm here at the Vita uh, Foods Conference and uh, seeing a lot of different exhibitors and getting exposure to a lot of really unique manufacturing uh, techniques as well as uh, raw product manufacturers and such. So it's it's basically for improving our protocols that are available through the head map and through advanced medicine. That's what I'm here for. Very cool. Yeah, it's one of the areas I haven't been in Asia uh, but I've flown over it uh, to get elsewhere. But uh, Singapore is nice. I got some friends that, that live out there as well. But it looks great. Looks great. And uh, the question is, as you're teaching there or learning there or doing whatever you're doing, there's a story that. And by the way, for all of y'all listening on radio, uh, Doctor Batar, you know he's very busy, and very often he'll show up and like I didn't read the stories, and we're like, okay, but Doctor Batar doesn't need to. He's that good. But it's kind of nice when he does, too. This is the one day he says, I would have had the time to read them, and Super Don doesn't send them until 30 seconds before air time. <laughs> that, that was actually okay. It was not a big deal. I just thought for something, for some reason, that it was some problem with on my end. But then uh, when I went back and looked at it a couple of times, and then get an email, I figured I'd ask you, and then you told me. He still sent them before I inquired, because you said it was 30 seconds. Right. So, that he sent so he was still ahead. He's still ahead of me. Just a little bit, but not like ahead, like the ahead map. Okay. So that which is way better. So our first story is interesting. I mean, you would know this firsthand uh, from going to medical school and all the things you've learned. I mean, I don't want to say you're an anomaly, but in many ways, you you uh, certainly have led the charge in so many ways. Primarily because of your own child, your son, motivated you to learn what you've learned. But you had to unlearn some things in order to learn what you've learned. And there's a headline here about it's hard for doctors to unlearn things. And is it because they're so committed to the program that they that they've been in, indoctrinated to believe, or is it just you know just human nature, or is there something about doctors and their ability to be programmed? You know, Robert, I think it's because of the culture that's created. When even before you go to medical school, it's a culture that's created with the image of doctors. It's the difficulty of going through college and hitting the milestones that are necessary, the pre-med, the MCAT, and getting into a good medical school, uh, the medical school educational process itself. Um, But there's so much indoctrination regarding how we're supposed to do this and why we're doing this and the reasons behind why we're doing this as far as going to medical school. And so when you actually get there, you think that everything, all the premises upon which you've built your entire life and your your career, even since before even getting old, you know, most, most people have made the decision when they're 
uh, in high school or prior to high school if they're going to be a doctor or not. So it's an entire indoctrination process that you really don't know anything else other than that indoctrination process that you've been exposed to. And then once you get to the point of being a practicing physician, um, you know, it, it would be like unlearning your entire life. So I think that mm. it's sort of like the Catholic Church, you know, when they say that if you want, how, how does it go, something about if you want us to train uh, a Jesuit, give us your give us your children at seven or younger or something like that. Do you, remember you and I talked about this once? Yeah, but it's not a good subject right now with all of the, the controversy of what's happening when they're getting these kids. Well, no, of course. I mean, we know that that's, and it's kind of the same thing with medicine. It's not a good thing with the way they do it. Yeah, because good it's point. It's hard for the doctors to unlearn. You know, it's, it's, in some ways, it's the same type of issue because you're making an, a stamp, uh, an impression on a very impressionable individual at a very impressionable age while they're mm-hmm. still developing. So it's hard to unlearn something. If you have been in the, if your entire um, maturation process has been tainted with that thought process, so then it's, you know what I mean? It's almost yeah. like you don't know what you're, it's, it's, it's uh, impossible to know what you don't know. And so they, we don't know anything different, so that's why we become indoctrinated. So to unlearn, it's not even a thing about, it's like unlearning the English language if you've been, you know, raised learning, you, you don't remember learning English, when, or right. learning any language for that matter. So it's hard to unlearn the language that you've learned when you learned it from the time, you know, since you can ever sure. remember. Well, and I, I think about this, and this article is more focusing on, for instance, uh, allopathic protocols that now they know don't work, and the doctors are saying are having a hard time stopping it because they've been using them so long, so they just assume, well, it's got to be. And now they find, well, it doesn't. But, you know, my thing is, is more along your journey, right? You were, you, you know, you went through the allopathic school as a DO, of course, but the reality is it's the same training for MDs. And, and yet you found a way to overcome the very training that would have limited you. And I, and I'm grateful to this day that I didn't push myself through because I, I can overcome stuff. I can push through stuff, but I didn't push myself to go to medical school at a certain point. I would have been thrown out of that profession had I made it through. Because I don't, I don't take well to people telling me what to do when I know it's the wrong thing to do. And I know you understand that, Dr. Batar, which is to your credit, you're, it's amazing to me that you're still going strong, consider it. Well, you know, I think that there are, there are many like us, Robert, that either saw the light beforehand or, um, or, you know, saw the light once we were through the educational process. I kind of see it as a trumpet that's calling and then there are different missions for different people. And we're all healers, but some infiltrate the organization. Some mm. have done it from outside, some have done it from within. Whatever the case is, we're, I think, all called by the same trumpet, and we're answering the same call. Um, the, the way that we do it and the manner in which we approach it, it's, obviously, I'm not unique in this. Uh, you're not unique in this. Mm. You know, we're unique in the sense that you and I came together to do it from two different um, perspectives and from two different historical uh, perspectives, but also educational perspectives and such. Mm-hmm. Even even from a societal and religious background, we, we're different in that sense, but we came together to do this, and we've been doing it almost a decade now. But I think that if you want to talk about the message itself, we're not unique in this. There are more and more people out there, you know that, yeah. um, that are practicing physicians, non-practicing physicians. Uh, we just happen to have a louder platform, perhaps, and we've got bigger mouths, perhaps, but that's <laughs> I think we're, yes. you know, we, we're just answering that call. 
Well, and I'm, and I'm grateful for the path that, that I've been on. I mean, obviously there were times where I've talked about the, the suffering that we all go through to learn what we've learned. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The question is, you know, once you've you become aware that you don't need to suffer and you continue to do so for the purpose of complaining about it, it becomes a little bit of a, de- a defeatist uh, type of life. But truly, you know, I want people to follow in uh, their bliss, so to speak. What is it that, that brings that happiness to you, that pursuit of happiness, whatever that is? And if it's to work from within the system, uh, you know, I'll counsel a young person to say, here are the realities of these paths based on my experience. I'm not telling you to or not to go down any of these paths. I just want you to go in with your eyes open. That's my thing. I think that's very sound advice because I don't think it's really our responsibility or our obligation, but more importantly, it's not our right to tell people what to do. We have to just provide guidance. And I think when it comes to people that are looking to go into the profession uh, of healing, I think that it is our ethical responsibility, not only to mankind and to the medical process, the healing process, I should say the healing process before the medical process, uh, but also our own responsibility to ourselves that we provide the best guidance we can. But that doesn't mean to dictate or tell people how to do it. Because one person's path may be different than the other. Just like your path and my path was different, but we came to the same conclusion. Yes. I think that if we're motivated by the same um, ethics and principles, we'll all get to the same endpoint anyway. It's just a matter of how we get there. So the I am, I'm the, fascinated by this opening story that Superdon found for us because it actually goes into the pediatric medical community. It talks about specific things that they do and have done for decades that are not working and can be, in fact, dangerous. And the apparent unwillingness to move from that pattern of behavior as doctors, right? Now, if we look at some of these minor things, they're not mentioning at all the issue of vaccination, of course. And you think about how difficult it is for people in the medical profession to recognize that great sacrament that they believe in so totally is one of the most devastating things they could do to the kid or pediatric community. And I think if they're not able to change minor stuff, it's going to be a while before they change the big stuff. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, uh, pediatrics is especially one of those areas of medicine that I believe, I personally feel, is riddled with a lot of hypocrisy. Um, and it's not because of the underlying um, character of the doctors, but it's actually the nature of what they're dealing with the pediatrics. Because if you think about it, pediatrics is in many ways from an emotional standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, probably the most difficult area of medicine in that you're dealing with new life and, and young life. And there's, there's an emotional component and, and maybe a greater sense of, um, Perhaps responsibility, I guess maybe that was, you know, obviously taking care of any life is responsible. There's a lot of responsibility, but I think in Mm -hmm. pediatrics, there's a greater sense of responsibility. And so for that reason, when these pediatricians are becoming aware that they're doing wrong by, you know, uh, trying to, in in their, their goal is to do right, obviously, to help children. But when they find out, they realize the science behind the vaccines is so flawed, they end up going through a very, very significant personal and emotional trauma. And I've witnessed this, not on one or two occasions, but dozens of cases. I've seen this actually with doctors that came to the AMSTER program. And, and it is a true, like, uh, soul-wrenching experience for them. Because just imagine if you were a pediatrician, and then you came to the realization of what you know now, the science behind vaccines and how they're doing it. Not, not that you're against vaccines, but against stupidity. They, now you realize that 
everything that you've been trying to do to help children um, has been flawed based upon the stupidity of the medical hierarchy and what they've indoctrinated you to believe. And mm-hmm. now you realize the truth. And what are you going to do? It's a very difficult thing. If you think about it, Robert, for a second, a person realizing that I would have done the person that spent their whole life just to want to help kids to come to the realization that had I not been alive, I would have done more for children than, mm. than what I've been doing. And so it's a difficult thing. They can stick their yeah. heads in the sand or they can come out and, and see the truth. And it's very All right. difficult for them. When we come back, uh, Dr. Rashid Bittar, halfway around the world, but he's with us live on Advanced Medicine version of the Robert Scott Bell Show. We do this each and every week. We'll tell you where you can catch the archives. I'm going to ask Dr. Bittar not only about the vaccine autism link, but why don't they live till 40 when they have it? Part of the stuff where you said all about the things. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. In the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, we got news stories connected in the uh, show notes at robertscottbell.com. We'll also take you to drbatar.com, advancedmedicine.com, and all these wonderful things, including some people are still asking if that giveaway for the nine steps to keep Docker away is still available, just pay shipping. Was that a limited time offer, or can people still uh, access that? I think it is a limited time offer, but it's still available. So, uh, we haven't put a specific time on it, Robert. I think it was supposed to go until Thanksgiving. Okay. It may even go longer. I don't know, but yes, it's still available. And Take I would actually folks. post it on my, yeah, I would do it on my, on this, uh, Facebook live thing, but it, it seemed like they've changed the configuration, so I can't seem to post, uh, anything here. I was going to actually put the study, all the articles that Super Don, well, Super Don's he, he can he can do it. He can drop it in because I think he if they're if he's got permission to do it, he can knock a comment in there or two and make the oh, links yeah, to the uh, articles. Yeah, that'd be great. Because normally what, what has happened is if you if I put it in as the host of it, it gets bumped up to the top of the entry. But it seems like uh, there's a there's a different configuration. I couldn't even see myself on camera until we went live. Usually you can preview it, but right, I don't right. know if they've done some kind of. Re- new changes but yeah super done if you could post that in there that'd be great cool now uh here's a question we've got we've got links including the stories on more science supporting what we know the vaccine autism link but there's a question we haven't talked about a lot i know you and i've talked about it before but uh why so many people with autism the diagnosis of autism never make it to their 40th birthday yeah well it really is pretty simple robert um, if you see the big picture, which I know you do, but if an individual actually looks at the big picture, then you realize that there's a, from the seven toxicities that we talked about in the, in the nine steps, keep the doctor away, the, the philosophy of the seven toxicities. And I'll just reiterate those really quickly. The first one is heavy metal segments, persistent organic gluten. The third one is opportunistics, what, like bacteria, viruses, spirochetes, mycoplasma, yeast, etc. Things that need an opportunity to set up house because of an immune suppression from the first toxicity, heavy metals, and second one, the persistent organic gluten, it allows that third toxicity to become uh, become uh, that's I call opportunistic, opportunistic because they now have an opportunity due to the immune suppression caused by the heavy metals and the persistent organic gluten. So these first three toxicities is actually the answer to the question. Let me just mention the other four. Fourth one is energetics. Fifth one is the 
uh, emotional, psychological ones, which is probably the most significant one for chronic disease, especially when it comes to things like cancer. Uh, sixth one is food, not what we eat, but actually what we do to the food, the pasteurization, homogenization, irradiation, genetic modification, etc. And the seventh one is spirituality. So those are the seven toxicities. Now, the question is, why are autistic children not living beyond, when they mature, they don't go much beyond 40? And the reason is because they are essentially immunosuppressed, meaning their immune system has been downgraded or suppressed from the from the heavy metals and the persistent organic pollutants, which caused them to become a perfect breeding ground for those opportunistics, because now bacteria, viruses, viruses, yeast, parasites, whatever, have an opportunity to grow um, unchecked. And mm-hmm. so Garth Nicholson, was uh, he was a head of the laboratory division at MD Anderson. He was giving a lecture at a conference, and I gave a lecture right after that. And in his lecture, I think we've talked about this in there a few years ago, and Dr. Nicholson uh, talked about the incidence of mycoplasma and spirochetes, uh, limes, actually, they were specifically talking about limes, the incidence of that in autistic children. And they had done some testing, and they had found like 60 to 70% of the autistic population had these pathogens that they were carrying. And I was asked during my lecture why I didn't, test for those things. And I said, why would anybody test for these things? It's like, you know, you're checking for spirochetes or mycoplasma. There's millions of things that these children have become susceptible to. So we know they're accessible, just breeding ground for any type of abnormality as far as the pathogens concerned, because their immune systems have been rendered yeah, incompetent. You know, so yeah. basically the immune system is not working. So of course they're going to get the bacteria, viruses off. So why are the children not making it? In fact, I, uh, beyond 40, I even made the comment during that question at that conference that you start looking at the data, and in 10, 15 years from now, I am going to predict that they are children that are dying, that had autism, that you're going to see a higher prevalence of cancer in these patients. You're going to see a higher prevalence of heart disease in these patients. You're going to see a higher uh, incidence of chronic disease outside of the autism spectrum within the autism spectrum population. And that's exactly yeah. what we're thinking about. Well, and Dr. Bittar, this article focused on injuries, drownings, and suicide. No mention of heavy metals or infections. A little bit, I think, on heart disease they do acknowledge, but they don't acknowledge why like you do. Y'all get it. The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away International bestseller available for free. Superdon will put out the link, and you just pay shipping. And I know some of our listeners have already got it. They're so excited, and they want to share it with everybody. All right, more things that uh, modern medicine is doing to hurt you. Next. Live around the world. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, Dr. Rasha Bittar, we're doing advanced medicine each and every week at this time. And uh, you can go to advancedmedicine.com. We've got links up in the show notes at robertscabell.com. For all of you interested, go to the Trinity Conference. I'll be there September 22nd and 23rd, Chicago, Schaumburg, Illinois. We've got free ticket giveaway as well. For the show listeners, uh, Super Don will put the uh, links up in the notes as well. Uh, Dr. Bittar, I opened today, and I wasn't going to talk about this, but it just recur- occurred to me, Olivia Newton-John, you know her, you met her, and Ty Bollinger has as well. And they, uh, She announced that she has some kind of uh, a spinal tumor or something, a, a recurrence of cancer, 
And obviously, she's a bright light and done a lot for awareness on natural treatments for cancer. Uh, so just uh, for whatever it's worth, uh, prayers to Olivia New John. Maybe you can give her a call and say, here, I'm here to help. Uh, Olivia and I have known each other now for probably four or five years, maybe actually six, six years now. Um, and she's, I didn't know that she had announced that she had been battling with uh, cancer for some time. And, uh, but anyway, uh, she, she knows how to get a hold of me, Robert. And, uh, sometimes, you know, people, um, they, they have resources, but they have their journeys to proceed with themselves. Sure. And Olivia is a, is a good friend. In fact, uh, I just talked with her husband, just, uh, John, just, um, maybe about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I didn't know that there was a recurrence. I, from the best of my knowledge, the last time I talked with him, uh, which was over a little over a month ago. You know, she was doing great. They were in New Mexico, actually. So, um, but they have they have every every way of getting a hold of me, and and I'm yeah. reach out to them. Yeah. All right. Well, we're just putting it out there. Um, and you know, she's done a lot again to help a lot of people, yeah. uh, including with the what she's done in Australia with the cancer centers there to integrate and uh, provide natural medicine. So uh, we're happy about that. Now, one of the things that it can cause a great downturn and even perhaps manifest as cancer over time is is damage to your liver. If your if your liver can't detoxify or is corrupted in its ability to do so. A bioaccumulation of all things, metabolic waste as well as environmental accumulations. You talk about persistent organic pollutants, heavy metals, uh, Dr. Batar, all can be exacerbated by a uh, lack of liver function. And the irony here is one of the basic mainstays of modern medicine is something called acetaminophen, Tylenol, or around the world sometimes it's known as Panadol. And it is toxic to adults, but man, it is even more so to kids who take these doses. Maybe they're a little less, but it's still overwhelming to the function of the liver. Yeah, we talked about uh, the Tylenol aspect. Didn't we just talk about it two weeks ago? We talked yeah. about that being the it, number one, yeah, number one source. It's, of it, it's just the, the headlines on it are just coming fast and furious, so obviously there's much more awareness coming out now. Yeah, I think the biggest problem with this is there, there are two components to this that make it somewhat, uh, you know, to put it to context. The human body, first of all, is extremely resilient, and it's amazing to me that all the crap that we put in there, not only pharmaceutical-related, but non-pharmaceutical-related, a lot of the types of things that we call foods and the types of things we drink, um, you know, like when you start understanding that Coca-Cola is used by most highway patrolmen to wash away the blood stains in on the interstate after a, an accident, or some people use it to clean the toilet bowl, and make them perfectly white, then you start realizing what it's doing for your body. But, you know, we do this amazingly bad thing. Just take sugar and put it inside a car uh, engine and see what it does to the car engine. The car engine can't function anymore if you put sugar. In fact, that's one of the ways, you know, the fraternity pranks where you put, you want to ruin a professor's, well, maybe I shouldn't say this because there are going to be people listening that can say, I'm going to try yeah. this. And, of yeah. course, I haven't done anything like this before myself. But if you put sugar inside a car engine, it'll destroy the car engine. It won't allow the car engine to work anymore. So why is it that in our engine we can put in sugar? And it, to me, it's amazing that our engine continues to work. Yeah. The body is extremely resilient. Now, when you take something like Tylenol and then you allow it to be uh, used upon the discretion of the individual, and some people may not be may not exercise as much discretion and they may not be as judicious as they should need to be in order to use this um, over-the-counter medication responsibly. And so there's a lot of abuse, unintentional abuse, uh, because if a person's in a pain and they're not getting yeah. help and they keep on popping these pills, of course, they're going to create all sorts of problems with their liver and 
and uh, downstream other issues too. So yeah, I'm not surprised that Tylenol is coming out no. more because it's really a bad thing. Um, and what are the, what, Dr. Bittar, one of the worst things is hearing about the, the, the same pediatricians we talked about earlier that haven't woken up to see the error of their ways will often, when parents call and say, my gosh, my little Johnny, my little Susie is having, something's going wrong, We just uh, and they say, here, just give them some Tylenol. The nurse said, just give them some Tylenol. And that is already proven to increase the likelihood of autism-type manifestations or other even more devastating things like death when the body is desperately trying to detoxify the system. And you do the opposite of what should be done in that case in a desperate attempt, as you said, to relieve or alleviate suffering. But that thing could bring on much worse scenarios. Well, I think that if people were educated, first of all, the fever response, a febrile response, is actually the body's innate mechanism designed by the ultimate engineer, God, to help fight an infection, whether it be viral or bacterial. So when somebody gets a temperature of 99.9 or 100 or 101 or even 102, you know, that's the body's natural response to try to fight whatever the offending pathogen may be. Um, when we give Tylenol, we're trying to reduce the fever, which actually is going against the design of the body to fight the infection, but it makes the person feel better, so we give them the Tylenol to reduce the fever, and that way it stops the body aches and such. But again, it's the Herxheimer's type response. It's the same response we get when we give the R-Soda in, in our patients that are suffering from immune deficiency or have cancer or whatever other issue may be going on. You know, we expect to see this inflammatory response. We're trying to help create it so that the body can start to fight. And that's exactly what the body's doing. So yeah. low-grade fever is not something that we should be that paranoid about and start giving things that are going to prevent the liver from functioning. Right. Of course, if you get up to a temperature of 104, 105, at 105, you start having protein denaturing. You can start having brain injuries and stuff. And at that point, I can see the use of Tylenol or something else to help to bring the temperature down. And even then, it's going to be very, very difficult to even justify that because now that person's liver is even more... It's very compromised, yeah. And by the way, this is where, you know, homeopathic medicine comes into play, where we have remedies that are known to address fever, the light cures light concept, and we can reduce a dangerously high fever with no untoward side effects, if you will, to the liver. And whether it be belladonna, homeopathic in a child, or phosphorus in an adult or teenager, there are ways that we can mitigate that safely. And I always say, you know, give a dose of bryonia for the liver, and you find that the fever can come down even though it's not a fever remedy because you help the liver to do its job. And my gosh, watch what happens. Now, uh, right. these... This, go ahead. Robert, I just want to mention one thing, though. And the, the, the issue here, and the issue is lack of knowledge. So somebody like myself, who may not have that knowledge in homeopathy, would then, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have just gone ahead and given a low-dose Tylenol, but nowadays what I would do is call you, Robert, and say, and I've done that before, Robert, what would you do in this situation so that we can get that type of, uh, uh, um, you know, joint yes. multifactorial uh, aspect so we know how to address it for the, for the best ability, yeah. our ability to address the patient, to address the patient's needs. What you're communicating, Dr. Batar, I think is, should be a good example for all doctors. And that when you're in a situation where you realize, you know, I, I know there's, there's a danger here, but I don't know what else to do, that you reach out to, to your colleagues, whether they be in or out of the official profession, and you talk. We, we've done that. I used to have discussions like this with Nick Gonzalez about these things. As brilliant as he is and was, 
you know, he's like, well, I don't know about that. Robert, you know about that and vice versa. And it was a wonderful way that we could learn in the real world outside of the indoctrination we talked about that's harder to unlearn for doctors, that we could help one another. Or as you've said over the years, patients would bring information that you weren't aware of and you would learn from them. And, and you know, obviously there are times where what they're bringing you isn't helpful. But, you know, the, the idea here is that via communication like this, we can outpace the ability of so-called peer review or university research that could be 10, 20, 30 years out. We can know this stuff now. Well, that's absolutely correct, Robert. And one of the things is even if there is a lot of research out there on a topic or on, on topics that are of importance for the public to recognize, the problem is that the mainstream medical community, the, the individual doctors that these patients are seeing, um, if they're not responsible, they will end up just you know, ridiculing those studies or saying that there's no scientific evidence. And they'll, they'll use these catchphrases without having any basis, you know, to say that there's no scientific evidence that uh, chelation has any efficacy and it's a dangerous treatment. When there's literally thousands of studies talking about the effect of heavy metal toxicity on the various organ systems and on various contributing to various types of pathology, including cancer and heart disease, and it's just ridiculed and minimized because the doctors know best and the patients don't. And that's yeah. one of the motivations for this next book that's coming out that we are making really good progress on. Um, when when that book is released, you talk about a definitive source with all the research in one place. It's going to be mind-blowing. It's blowing my mind just looking at all the data that's being collected and, and yeah. you know, trying to organize it. I mean, I think we're going to be at a six or 700-page book right now, and it may even be bigger. <laughs> Oh my gosh. We're going to have to get the abridged version or the one you can just plug in. But, uh, you know, from Tylenol, we move to the, the NSAIDs, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And, you know, they're also perceived as benign by a lot of people. How many people have ended up with liver, kidney, gastrointestinal or other issues? And now they're again reinforcing what we've reported on before. Common painkiller is doubling the risk of heart attacks and strokes. This is not in natural news now, although we've covered it in natural news. This is on the, the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Talking about, you know, you think aspirin and, and ibuprofen is just benign? No. I don't think it would be approved today with all of the damage that it does to people. Well, here's the, the take-home point. Nothing is benign. That's the key. And I don't, I don't think that it serves anybody to um, blame one or another item or substance or product or pharmaceutical as, as creating these types of problems, it does, it does, um, it's our responsibility to bring home this information to people that may not be aware of it, Robert. But I, I think that there's certain things, you know, we're talking about non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, we're talking about acetaminophen. But, you know, my thing would be, well, let's talk about even the things that are contributing even on a bigger scale, because these are not over-the-counter medications. What about the things that aren't even considered medications that are over-the-counter? Or let's think, talk about what happens when you go to a, uh, grocery store and you get some of these foods that you're eating and what type of detriments are those things causing on mm -hmm. a really, really, um, global scale. And so, you know, it's, it's hard for me to get excited about the acetaminophen Tylenol when I see people drinking like Coca-Cola, right? Or, yeah. or doing those type of things that sure. are so fundamentally, innately insane. Uh, and <laughs> I, I just don't know. It's hard for me to get excited about those things when people are doing such other things that are even worse. Well, I guess it's just the interesting thing from time to time when the mainstream media covers what we've been talking about for years to decades at this point. I'm glad about it. Maybe maybe they'll wake up. Maybe maybe they'll be willing to unlearn what they've learned before. Folks, we're going to wrap it up with Dr. Batar, more advanced medicine after this break. What is the CDC saying 
about preventing heart attacks and deaths from heart disease. We'll talk about it next. Who'd you say that masked man was? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day. is so good it requires no expiration date the robert scott bell show archives available all over planet earth and you can download them from gcn or home and broadcast radio syndication gcnlive.com they're the first to have it then at itunes stitcher tune in soundcloud uk health radio and youtube and of course uh, dr Batar is now streaming out through facebook live as well and sometimes instagram and uh, just who knows where else they're getting it from, but we're glad you're uh, with us with either live or later. And Dr. Bachar, I, I just, uh, Ula's watching us on the YouTube and she asked a question about why pediatricians, since we were talking about pediatricians today, don't put more effort to detoxify kids' liver. And I'm thinking, do they put any effort into that at all? I wasn't aware that they have any training in natural, safe remedies for the livers. You talked about there's no drug that's truly benign. Um, is there any training on detoxification of the liver other than to know that the organ does that? Well, Robert, this kind of goes back to maybe three weeks ago when we talked about, or four weeks ago when we talked about the American Academy of Pediatrics that came out with talking about the importance of uh, addressing issues that can be toxicity issues, I think they were talking about, with the foods and things that we're feeding our children and how they were, I think it was an uproar about some type of additive in food or something, but remember we talked about the the contradiction in there. It's okay to give vaccines that have all these various contaminants and, and foreign DNA and metals and other types of things in there, but then when it comes to foods, they're making a big thing about the food toxicity. So, you know, it was like one of those, well, how can you talk from one side of your mouth and, and then be doing the opposite thing? So I think it comes down to absolutely a, uh, um, a fundamental issue of lack of understanding of how mm-hmm. the body works. And then to address certain things that they think are pertinent, you know, how can you address toxicity with food and not address toxicity with vaccines, right? Right, yeah. So there's a fundamental disconnect there. So, again, it's the same mind, mindset comment about you can't fix a problem with the same mindset that created it. So how, why are doctors not, doctors not addressing liver congestion? Well, they're creating they, their mentality that created this issue in the first place. It, it's contributing to the problem. It's not going to help to alleviate it. They right. have to fundamentally change their thought process. And, and that starts from the educational process. And understanding what the liver was designed for, yes, they understand that. But then there's some type of disconnect. It's like knowing that mercury is bad, but then we put it in vaccines. And yeah, yeah exactly. Dr. Batar, I mean, listen, I grew up on doctors. I was pharmaceutically grown. And it wasn't until I was 24, I've told the story many times, that I met a homeopathic doctor, took one look at me and said, your liver's congested. No blood tests, no nothing, just, I'm like, what? And then I started going on liver drainage remedies, homeopathic, and cleaned up what went into my body. And lo and behold, you know, in weeks I was experiencing healing that I hadn't in years prior with everything doctors could or should have known. They didn't. And again, it isn't because they're evil per se. This, this is how they're trained. And it's important to know if you're going to a doctor, find out what they're trained at. If they are a doctor, but maybe they've gotten additional training, they would typically let you know so you know with your eyes open what you're getting into. Yeah, and I, I think it's a good point that you made. They're not bad people. It's just 
lack of information, lack of knowledge, and, and sometimes, you know, they are, they're having their own personal issue of mm-hmm. trying to wrestle with the idea that they've been doing something that may not have been best for their patients, and yet they've been taught that what they're doing is the best. Yeah. It's a difficult place for anybody to be. You know, you can stick your head in the sand and say, I don't hear, I don't see, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not aware of this, or you can actually step out of the box and then have this rude awakening. But once you've seen the light, I tell the doctors that came from my training program in the past, once you've seen the light, the problem is you can never go back into the dark. Right. Yeah. So, so well said, you know, you got the CDC talking about, oh man, we can prevent 415,000 heart deaths every year, heart attack type deaths. Well, of course, but all they mention is smoking. There's not one mention of heavy metals or mercury in that, you know, pronouncement. Yeah. It's, uh, it's ignoring those types of uh, important things and whether they're ignoring it on purpose or they're ignoring it because there's an agenda. I don't know. I have my own feelings about it. I know, Robert, your feelings are too, and we're pretty much in agreement with that. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's not – I think our responsibility is to bring it to the awareness of the public and then the reasons behind it. You know, we yeah. can, we have our own conjecture on it, but who knows what. Don't, yeah, don't get mad at your doctor or the CDC because they don't know something. If you find somebody who knows something and go seek out their help, or maybe you know more than them, help educate them if they're willing. If not, don't waste your time. Find people who are willing to listen and work with you on the healing that you desire or that which you desire for your children. And that's what we do here with Advanced Medicine and Dr. Raja Bittar. All right. Hey, Singapore, man. Time moves fast, Dr. Bittar. Yeah, it's actually 9 o'clock in the morning here, so i got to get to the conference. It's time to start so I'm going to shorten my Facebook questions too, but yeah. All right, so you'll rush through it. All right, Eric, do not bring the volume up because Dr. Batar is going to tell us what we need to know because we've got to go. Go ahead, Dr. Batar. That the power to heal is unequivocally each and every one of ours. Yes. It's yours. <laughs> well done. All right, now you're Scott Belcher. Scott Belcher.